Good morning. The uh, text this morning uh, comes from uh, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and were perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. I'll skip down to uh, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the, to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul in Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know, for certain that God has made, made, both him, made him both Lord and Jesus, and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, so those who receive his word, received his word were baptized, and, those, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceedings to all as, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a story. Today is Pentecost. Thank you, Trell, for reading the account from Acts 2 of the, the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the church. We often say that this is the birthday of the church, for it was on this day that God fulfilled that long, long-awaited promise, and he poured out his spirit. Did you notice? Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And as Peter was called to explain this, he quoted to them one of their own scriptures from Joel. It shall come to pass in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and so on. Um, I will pour out my spirit in those days, said God. This is the day on which it happened. And today, being Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, 10 days after the ascension of Christ, we remember this special event in the life of the church and in the life of God as he fulfilled his long, long-awaited promise. In fact, if we would go back to see the background and the setting for the day of Pentecost, we should go back to when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. As Wendell reminded us this morning, that breathing out of God into man till he became a living soul, the beginning of God's relationship with this special creature from the get-go, God determined and desired to have a close relationship with man. And so with Adam and Eve, he spoke with them. He gave them things to do and things not to do. He walked in the garden in the cool of the day. He was developing a relationship with this special creation until the day in which they sinned. And sin raised that horrible barrier between a holy God, and now sinful man. And for man, there was no way back, except that God began to build that way back, to redeem, to reconcile, to heal. And over the centuries, God was at work trying to restore and build a relationship with his special loved creation. And so in the Mosaic Law, with the sacrifices and the priests and so on, God gave them ways to come close to him. If they brought the right sacrifice, the priest was there at the tabernacle, they could come close, but only so close, for there was always that veil that reminded them that a holy God and sinful man are not compatible. Over the centuries, God kept teaching, God kept working, particularly through the Jewish nation, until the time was right, and God took a huge step forward in that relationship building, and he sent his son to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Oh, the joy, oh, the delight, oh, the privilege of mankind to have God with them, bodily, physically there, teaching them, showing them, helping them to recognize and affirm and be blessed by the presence and care and teaching of God. In our text today, we're going to go to some of the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples very soon before his death, when he was about to go away, and the God with us was about to depart. First by death, and later by the ascension, he was to leave and to go back to heaven. And the disciples were confused, not quite knowing what life would be like without God with us. Jesus comforted them in John 14, 15, 16. He spoke many words to encourage and bless them. And he spoke of the coming of someone to take his place. This would be someone who would not merely be God with us, but the Holy Spirit to be God in us. And there is a blessed difference. And again, God took a giant step forward in that relationship building. And I see Pentecost as the climax of, of that desire and longing of God to build and have close, close relationship with you and me and anyone who will enter into a believing faith relationship with him. Pentecost. The the coming of the Holy Spirit, God in us. Just as the disciples shook their heads and wondered, can anything be better than this? Now we must shake our heads and wonder, can anything be better than this? And as we look forward to heaven, I think we'll say yes, there will be more. But right now, in this church age, we glory and revel and Rejoice in the privilege of having God within us, guiding, indwelling our spirit by his spirit. What is his work and who is he? Let's notice the words of Jesus. This is really only the beginning of a study of the Holy Spirit. And yet it's a good beginning for it's the words of one who knows Jesus Christ. And with that, we will be on a good foundation for understanding the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church. I'm going to read from John 14, verses 15 to 31. Keep in mind that Jesus is comforting his disciples, teaching them what's about to happen, trying to prepare them for the changes that will occur, for his absence, and for the coming of his Holy Spirit, who will be with them and in them. If you care to stand for the reading of Scripture, I invite you to stand and remain standing for prayer. John 14, starting at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you 
and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it ta does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but, as I, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that his world, this, the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the truth and understand and appreciate the person of the Holy Spirit as Jesus spoke of him here, that we might walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and live with you in us. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. These words of Christ introduce us to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And they challenge us to recognize the Holy Spirit as the one who draws us into relationship with God. In this message, I wish to identify three questions that Jesus answers about the Holy Spirit. I'll discuss each of those and try to give a summarizing statement about them. And uh, this will help us to uh, understand and I believe appreciate the person of the Holy Spirit and recognize his presence and work in our hearts. The first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, I'll give you permission to whisper to someone near you and answer that question before we discuss it. Who is the Holy Spirit? How would you answer that question? Tell someone near you.
First of all, Jesus would say, the Holy Spirit is someone else besides me and besides the Father. Notice how he begins talking about the Holy Spirit, and he talks about all three of them as distinct persons. The Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father and from the Son. He said, I will ask the Father, he's up in heaven, and I'm here, but I'm going to go there, and I'm going to ask him to send this other one to you. So there's three of them. There's three persons. The Father, whom Jesus often spoke about. The Son, that's Jesus. He's God. But there's another one, the Holy Spirit. And he is one of the three that we call God. The Trinity is, it never was really clear in the Old Testament times. And in the teaching a person of Jesus, we began to get better concept of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, those three that together are, are God. Jesus speaks of all three of them here, doesn't he? And there are other scriptures that do the same. We recognize that the Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son, and we remember that, yeah, way back in creation. Verse 2, the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. Well, he was there. He's, he's God, with God, part, you know, part of creation, part of that activity, way back in the beginning. Furthermore, we would notice from Jesus' words that this Holy Spirit is a real person. Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit using pronouns like he and him, not it. Not some vague force or power that's out there somewhere that's putting pressure on things or people. This is a person. He has a personality. He can think. He can feel. He can make decisions. He can speak. He can communicate. He can have relationship. He's a real person. The Holy Spirit. We we maybe have time, trouble picturing him because, well, we think of Jesus, and, you know, he was there in a body, and, and he walked their streets and along the shore, and he talked with them, and they could touch him and, and feel him and smell him. But the Holy Spirit, a very real person, like God the Father, whom we can't see and feel and touch, but he's very real and very alive and a, a person who can relate. <laughs> and so there we have relationship again, right? He is a person, you and I are persons, and he can communicate and relate to us as a person would. Jesus speaks of him as a real person. He's going to come, he's going to do things, he's going to be active. It's going to take my place. As Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, right there in verse 16, he calls him another helper. What does that say to you? Well, I am one helper, and I have been with you these years, and I have talked to you and taught you and helped you and guided you, give you instructions and rebuked you, and we've done lots of things together. When I go away, 
Someone's going to come and take my place, sort of like me. And the Holy Spirit is one to take the place of Jesus, sort of like he was there with the 12 disciples, and yet distinct and different from him. He's to be another helper. So don't worry. If you think that my going away is going to leave such a vacancy in your lives, don't worry, there's another one coming, and he'll take my place. We'll call him a helper or a comforter, King James Version, or advocate, another translation. The word paraclete, the Greek word paraclete for this, this concept here, this title for him, is one that indicates a, a person who comes alongside of to befriend, to help, to support, to encourage, to comfort, to guide, to counsel, to rebuke, all of those things are part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'll get to that later. But right now we're looking at him as who he is. He is one to be uh, alongside of as another presence of God and person of God in your lives. Coming on down through this passage, uh, Jesus speaks of him in verse 17 as the spirit of truth. Well, that's an interesting title. He is a spirit. Don't think of him as a ghost. Now, it is right that uh, King James Version and perhaps some others speak of him sometimes as the Holy Ghost. And that could be confusing because of the connotations that we have with ghosts. This is a real spirit being, and probably better to just simply call him Holy Spirit, spirit of truth, a spirit being. Again, emphasizing, I guess, that he's not a bodily, physical being or presence with them. Uh, he is a spirit being, but he is the spirit of truth. <laughs> now, earlier in this same chapter, Jesus had said those very famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here he comes and talks about the spirit of truth. And you see that there must be a relation between the one who says, I am truth, and I'm sending the spirit of truth, and there's a, a, a connection or a correlation between the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus and the one of the Holy Spirit. What is truth? Well, truth, that which is real, that which is actual and, and in fact true or not false. Uh, this speaks of integrity and being consistent with what's real and with reality. It's in harmony with what does exist. There's nothing false, nothing pretentious about the Holy Spirit. He's utterly sincere, and he seems to be utterly humble, too. And he doesn't draw attention to himself, and perhaps that's why he's so often not regarded or recognized, because he is one who is working in us and sort of behind the scenes. But he is a spirit of truth. In verse 26, Jesus gives him another name, and the one that we usually use, the Holy Spirit. This helper, this another helper that's coming, I will now call the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Sometimes this person is referred to as the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Christ, and we 
we human beings, limited and finite as we are, have trouble getting our minds wrapped around the Trinity. And that's all right. He is so much greater than we, it would be a problem if we thought we truly come to fully understand him. So he will always be greater than us, greater than we, and, and we will never fully comprehend him. But this one who is the spirit of Christ, the spirit, Holy Spirit, he and the Father and the Son, uh, they work together well. And while we seek this morning to focus on just the one of them in order to better understand and appreciate him, we do not do it in a way that separates him from them or puts a division between what he is doing and who he is and the other two. Rather, he is one who is coming in Jesus' name. There is full cooperation and harmony between Jesus and his intentions, the Father and his, and what the Holy Spirit is doing when he comes. He is coming in Jesus' name at the request and behest of Jesus at his bidding. It's going to be his agent, the representative of Jesus, sent by the Father into the world, submitted to do the will of the Father. Now, you remember, it wasn't so very long before this that Jesus was the one who was being sent by the Father into the world. Now he's about to go away. And what's going to happen? The Father's going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so he's going to be, Jesus is going to be absent, but the Holy Spirit will carry on the work in a way that Jesus could not. Can you believe that? The Holy Spirit is going to do it in a way in which Jesus could not have carried out the same work. And so it's right to refer to him as the Spirit of Christ, even as we recognize him as the Holy Spirit. So, who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? My summarizing statement would be the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity replacing Jesus on earth. And I'll just stop there at this point with that one. The second question that I believe Jesus helps us to find answers for about the Holy Spirit is, where is the Holy Spirit? Now, you may whisper again. Tell your neighbor near you an answer to that question. Where is the Holy Spirit? Go. Jesus was right there with them. He's wearing clothes. He was talking to them. They just had supper together. He was very much with them there in Jerusalem. He's talking about leaving. He's talking about going away. He promises them, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. Just in the last chapter, he talked to them as his children. And he spoke to them as a father would to his children. And now he assures them, now look, even though I'm going away, you're not going to be without a father because I'm going to come back. I'm going to be with you. And I'm not going to desert you. I'm going to be back in the person of the Holy Spirit. So it's not goodbye, but I'll see you later. I'll be back. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to take my place. And he will be with you and in you. 
And probably that was in your answer just a moment ago. Where is the Holy Spirit? He's not going to be confined to a place in a room wearing clothes at a certain locale. But he's going to be in you and in you and in you and in you and in me and in, in all the believers. In you. He's going to do this in such a way that it will be called an indwelling. His spirit in your spirit. Again, it's a bit of mystery there, isn't there? And maybe we won't ever fully understand it this side of heaven, but we can experience his presence, his person, his life within ours as he is indwelling us. Jesus says he will abide with you forever. I like that word abide. I think that's the King James translation. Abiding, not leaving. It's going to be forever. Not like Jesus is about to do, but forever. He's going to always be there. So that's comforting to know. And in this word abide, um, we, we dig into that a little bit and we find that it means to dwell, to be at home with. In fact, in verse 23, Jesus says, the Father and I will come and make our home with you. Talk about relationship. That's as good as it gets, isn't it? They're going to be right at home with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's going to indwell or live in and with us. And so Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm going to come back. You should rejoice because what you have now is good. But what you're going to get is even better. Now, we're physical human beings, and we scratch our heads at that and say, what could be better than having Jesus here? You know, if Jesus came to your house, so how would you serve him tea? Uh, what would you do with him? What, what would you talk about? And we sometimes wonder and revel in the thought that if only Jesus would visit us. Would you like to have Jesus here? Yeah, it would be very special. Jesus says, you should rejoice that I'm going away because you're getting something that's even better. What could be better than having Jesus here physically, tangibly, audibly, speaking with us, relating to us? Well, just think about it. If Jesus were still here, even in his glorified, resurrected body, where would he be? Hometown of Nazareth, huh? Galilee, right? How often would you get to see him? Oh, he'd be pretty famous, wouldn't he? After these 2,000 years, still around, doing miracles, teaching, whatever. He'd be pretty famous, but he'd be only at one place at one time. So maybe he'd go on a tour. Suppose he went on a tour around the world for a year. Do you think he'd make it to Harrisonburg? Maybe Washington, D.C., and we'd all go over there, right? How close would we get to him? Do you think you'd get to shake his hand if you were to see Jesus at Washington, D.C.? Would you get close enough to shake his hand? How many people get to shake the president's hand when he goes through a parade? A few. <laughs> okay, suppose you got to shake his hand. Would you get to talk with him? Would you get to pour out your soul to him and tell him what's bothering you? Would you get to ask him to do this, meet this need in your life? He, he couldn't be available to you like that 
if he were here in bodily form. So what has he done? He's gone away to give someone that can be with you and in you and be his presence and his power, his guide, and his love in your life right now, all the time, forever. Yeah, it gets better. It is better for us that the Holy Spirit has come to take Jesus' place. Jesus truly limited himself when he came to be God in the flesh. To be confined to that body of skin and bones and have to stay there and just be in one place all the time. Appreciate the incarnation and the gift and what Jesus gave up to be God in the flesh. But also now appreciate that as he has gone away, he has sent us and given us the Holy Spirit to be in your life and in mine and all the Christians around the globe to be the presence of God in our lives now. Wow. What a privilege. And so, I'm going away and coming again, you should rejoice. May this put a smile on your face, a glow and warmth in your heart, and an eagerness to be attuned to the Holy Spirit and what he's doing, even though maybe quietly like a gentle rain. Be attuned to what he's saying and doing. This is even better than having Jesus walk in the door. Jesus says, I'm going away, and I will come to you. I think there's several ways Jesus might have been meaning this. And they're all true. I'm going away. Tomorrow I'm going to die. But three days later, I'm going to come back, and I'll be back. So he may be talking about his death as a departure, and his resurrection is coming back. Or perhaps I'm going away, and he's thinking of ascension. That final glimpse that they had of his, of his body as he ascended up into heaven and was, was taken away into the clouds. I'm going away, but I'll come back in the second coming. And we look forward to that, and that's true too. Perhaps, however, he's simply thinking, I'm going away at the ascension, and 10 days later, I'll be back in the Holy Spirit in you. And we rejoice in that as well, for that also is true and is a part of the experience of the Christians now. So, where is the Holy Spirit? Where is he? He is dwelling in I-N. I emphasized that this morning, for Jesus did. He is dwelling in every believer as the person and the presence of God forever forever. One more question. What does the Holy Spirit do? What, who is he? We've talked about that. We've talked about where he is. And in this discussion, you're probably already forming ideas. What does he do? What does Jesus say about him that he is going to do? Again, this is the third time. You may whisper in church. Tell your neighbor, what does the Holy Spirit do? Say it now. 
There are several clues in this passage, and there are others in other scriptures as well. And I do not pretend to exhaust them all this morning. But we begin with the words of Jesus, and he talks about the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Truth. And we get the impression this is one that's going to impart truth. This one's going to be a teacher. He's going to be instructing. He's going to be telling it like it is. Not necessarily the way you think it might be or the way you wish it would be or not sugarcoating it, but speaking truth. He is the spirit of truth. He will teach you what is true. Um, I forget what verse number that is, but uh, here it is in verse 26. He will teach you all things. Ah, that's good to know because these disciples are probably thinking, boy, I wish I had my tape recorder going back there on the Sermon on the Mount. I just never remember all that stuff that Jesus told us. I wish I had recorded, written this stuff down. I'm afraid I've, I'm losing it. Now Jesus says, don't worry. He's going to teach you what I've taught you even more. But furthermore, he's going to bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said. And in a way, Jesus is now pre-authenticating the writings of the New Testament, the Gospels and so on, because he's saying, look, when I'm gone, Holy Spirit's going to help you remember it, and you can write it down accurately, you can repeat it, and, and you'll have it just right. He's the spirit of truth, and it's going to be accurate, and you can re remember it. He's going to be in you to bring it back to your remembrance, and he's going to um, clarify anything that you might have thought you forgot or didn't quite understand. And so even this, this text we have this morning, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, long discourses of Jesus. Ah, John, by the Holy Spirit within him, was able to remember them and record them so that we still have them. And we have them correctly and accurately. Uh, that's just one example of how this, no doubt, was fulfilled in the life of John himself. These thoughts about what the Holy Spirit is about to do Jesus expands on in the next couple chapters, and I won't read them all, but I would like to read a few of the verses from 15 and 16 that speak to the activity or the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, you may want to just mark these in your Bibles, but I'll start with 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, he will whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. Aha. There's one thing he's going to do. And it's sort of like what Jesus already said. He's going to bear witness or teach or speak of truth. He's going to speak of Christ. Skip down to chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I go, do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Go down to verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
So now we're trying to discover Jesus' answer to the question, what will he do? Well, one of these verses noted that he will bear witness of Christ. I said a bit ago the Holy Spirit is a humble one. He is pointing people to Christ, not drawing attention to himself. And maybe that's why in our era, and maybe others, the Holy Spirit has not been well publicized. He's not been a super popular being. We talk more about Christ and worshiping the Lord, and, and we talk about Christmas and Easter and, and Good Friday, and we hardly ever hear about Pentecost, do we? Why? The Holy Spirit is doing his work. He's pointing people to Jesus. Why? Because it's in Jesus that salvation and redemption and forgiveness of sins and relationship with God is found. He doesn't broadcast the ideas so much, I'm the one that brings you into relationship with the Lord, though he does. He points to Jesus as the way, the truth of the life, the way to come to the Father, and so on. And in the story of Pentecost, when Peter got an opportunity to address the crowd, who did he speak about? He said, by way of passing, this isn't drunkenness. These guys didn't have too much wine. This is the promise, the Holy Spirit coming, which Joel said would happen. And now, let me tell you about Jesus. And he goes on and on, telling them about Jesus Christ. Why? The Holy Spirit will point people to Jesus in order to bring them to repentance and salvation and life and relationship with God. That's his ministry. It's pointing people to the Savior. The one verse here speaks of his activity not with believers so much, but with the world. Well, we've experienced this ourselves before we were believers. The conviction that the Holy Spirit brings. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Yeah, he's got to work with them too. And before we were believers, the Holy Spirit was sort of like on the outside speaking to us, addressing our conscience, helping us to see and understand and know sin. When he speaks truth, it's not all nice, warm, fuzzy. Sometimes truth is pretty painful. The truth of the sin in my life. The truth that I shouldn't have said that. The truth that I blew it there. Those things are true too. And he convicts us of sin in our lives by being the agent of truth and helping us to recognize the truth of the sin that separates us from God. Now, he's trying to make us aware and wake up to realize how this sin needs to be taken care of by the person of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his blood, his forgiveness, and then we can come into fellowship. But first, he's got to bear truth onto that sinful heart and bring con conviction of sin and of righteousness. Who is the example of righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteous one who, in whom was no sin, thus qualifying him to be the savior of the world and the one to bring redemption to us? Convicting us also of judgment. It's the loving work of a Holy Spirit to make one aware that judgment is coming and hell is real and eternal. Because it's in that realization of that truth 
that our hearts are turned to want to receive the gift and love and relationship with God. This conviction by the Holy Spirit is in conjunction with the conscience that is already in the heart and life of every person. And I don't know if I can adequately explain or separate the work of conscience and with work of the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Both of them urge us to do what's right. The Holy Spirit is always right, and the conscience is usually right. Sometimes even the conscience needs to be retrained. I won't go into that now, but I will just comment that as the Holy Spirit brings conviction on a sinner or even on a believer and does it through the conscience, there is within us that opportunity to respond. Not just an opportunity, but an obligation to respond. And we don't at that point need to try to discern, is this my conscience, is this the Holy Spirit? We need to do what's right. And as we choose and struggle, and we think, oh, it won't be too bad. I'll just do it a little bit. Or, yeah, I know I shouldn't, but, I'll, you know, that struggle, that inner sinful self that is still a part of our being now, urging us to do wrong, the Holy Spirit and our conscience urging us to do right, we have to decide. And it's in those kind of decision points that we not only are deciding between doing right and doing wrong, we're also deciding between fellowship with God or distance from God. Sin raises barriers between you and God. And if we choose to sin, we spurn the Holy Spirit and our conscience. And the Bible does warn us that the hardened sinner who sears his conscience, there comes a time when the Holy Spirit doesn't work with him anymore. That's the hardened sinner who has spurned conscience and God and has turned his back time and again on the Lord. I don't say that to imply that that's the case with Christians, but as Christians, we do need to consider those points of temptation and sin and recognize that if we're going to live and walk in the Spirit, we need to cooperate with Him. We need to pay attention to what He's saying and say yes. And like that Grubbs brother talked about time management. We need to do it immediately. We need to make an immediate response. And do it right away. And as we do, we give the Holy Spirit opportunity to widen his influence and his impact in our lives, to strengthen it, to strengthen us, to grow us into greater maturity. And all of life is one of growing and responding and maturing in the Christian life and allowing the Holy Spirit to have more and more um, influence and guidance in our lives. The Holy Spirit is also working as one to convict and teach. 
but in our lives, he's also opening our eyes to truth. And again, I would build on the comment of Jesus, the title Jesus gave him, he's the spirit of truth. When we come to spend a little time in the word, how is it that we come to one of those moments and say, ah, oh, I never saw that before. That's the Holy Spirit who is enlightening our minds, enlightening the scripture, opening our heart to understand what has been there, but we didn't grasp it before. He's one who teaches us all things, as Jesus promised the disciples. He will teach you all things. Yes, let him. And so it's appropriate as we come to the scripture to say, Lord, or even Holy Spirit, enlighten me to understand this scripture. Speak to me through your word. That's his job, and he loves to do it. He loves to bring truth to bear on your life, to open your eyes so you can say, ah, oh, yes, I see it. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives as he guides us into all truth. And so whether it's showing us what's wrong, convicting us through our conscience and so on, or whether it's showing us what is right and righteous, he is guiding us into all truth and helping us to walk in the light, walking in the spirit, living a holy life. Holy life? Well, that's his name, isn't it? Living a holy life, that's what he's, his goal is in us that our lives might be patterned after the holiness of God. That brings up a, a big word and a big topic that I will mention briefly. The word is sanctification. And while that word is, it sounds pretty theological and big, there's a simple idea in it, and that's the idea of being clean from sin for God. And the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to sanctify us, to help us to be clean from sin, so that we're turning our back on sin, and we're clean from that so that we are embracing God and in a relationship with him. For sin is what separates us from God. And as the relationship between us and God grows, it's because we are forsaking sin, and we're becoming holy by the Holy Spirit living within. His teaching us, his convicting us, it's with the, with the goal of sanctifying us. He doesn't do it all at once. And it's not just a one seminar weekend kind of thing that ha where it happens. It's a lifelong process by which as we learn to listen and obey him and say no to sin, we are growing in our life with the Lord and being sanctified more and more like Jesus. That's his goal, that we pattern our lives after Jesus and yielding ourselves more to his control. And so he would grow spirit fruit in us. You know the fruit of the spirit from Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace. Do those typify your life now? Got room for growing a few more? Yeah. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Those are nine fruit identified in that scripture that are spirit fruit, the fruit of the spirit. 
his results in our lives as he sanctifies us and helps us to become holy are to grow that kind of fruit. Don't have to look far from our text to see Jesus talking about fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. Chapter 15, beautiful passage there. Jesus doesn't speak so much of the Holy Spirit in that passage, but now we know that when Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, abide, keyword, in, keyword, who is the one who abides in you? Now we know, don't we? It's the Holy Spirit. And as he abides in you, you can bear fruit in the name of Jesus. That spirit fruit that Jesus is talking about in 15, the spiritual fruit that Paul is talking about in Galatians, the spirit fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to develop in you so that you become, in character and person, more and more like the Lord Jesus. It's a lifelong challenge. Even in old age, we're not quite there yet, are we? It's the room to grow. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is the fruit bearer as he indwells the believer. So in summary, what does the Holy Spirit do? Oh, there's so much he does. It's so good. The Holy Spirit convicts sinners of truth and brings the light of truth to believers, enabling them to grow and bear fruit. He's got a full-time job, doesn't he? I'm glad he's not off in Galilee somewhere. He's with me today, now, tomorrow, and day by day. He is also with you. Listen to him. Cooperate with him. It's a good life of growing in relationship with God. In conclusion, the Holy Spirit is the indwelling, abiding presence of God in the life of the believer. He is the one who brings the believer into relationship with God. The one who teaches and sanctifies us. The one who grows spiritual fruit in our lives. Let us thank God for the Holy Spirit. Let's appreciate him. Let us grow in obeying him in our daily life in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. Yes, be filled with the Spirit. Be ye constantly being filled with the Spirit is the correct sense of the verb tense in that verse. Be filled with the Spirit. May we grow in grace and power to live for the Lord. Brother Wendell's going to lead us in a song identifying some of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives following which I'll ask you to make any comments, add to what I've already shared, uh, raise a question, and uh, so there'll be a response time following the singing of this hymn. Wendell?